Did you know that in 1978, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was amended to include the Pregnancy Discrimination Act? This amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 added pregnancy as a protected category against discrimination in the United States. However, this amendment to the Civil Rights Act only applied to civilians. It did not apply to military members of the United States Department of Defense. In today's episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast, you're invited to join the conversation about pregnancy and promotion in the United States military and how you can support an important public call to action. Now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast, and I'm your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Equality, inclusion, and diversity resides at the very core of the mission of the Women Veterans Rock campaign. Over the past 10 years, we've been working to add volume to the voices of America's military women and military families in an effort to increase awareness and to break down barriers that are needlessly holding women back. We work to create a space in the public square for military women to be heard because, America, we can do better. We can do better in supporting women in the military. We can do better in empowering women in the military. We can do a much better job at leveling the playing field of equality, inclusion, and diversity for women in our military armed services. Today we have a special guest joining our conversation circle. She's Lieutenant Colonel Jessica Rudenberg. She's a successful pilot in the United States Air Force. She's an active military mom. She's a writer. She is also a public policy advocate who is an important part of the nationwide discussion about pregnancy and promotion in the military that is happening right now in America's public square. Now, this is an important conversation about military women and military families and about upward mobility that is free of discrimination in America's military. Thanks for joining us here today in this discussion about changing policy and about changing culture in the United States military armed forces. Stay tuned to meet our special guest, Lieutenant Colonel Jessica Rudenberg. Would you like to be recognized as a podcast conversation starter? Send your suggestions and ideas for upcoming shows to us at info at womanvetsrock.org because we're always elated to hear from our audience in the podcast community. Don't forget to stay in touch and follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Vets Rock and Facebook at Women Veterans Rock. Colonel Jessica Rutenberg, welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I am delighted that you have decided to join us today for a conversation about an important and growing issue around pregnancy and promotion in the military. 
I've had an opportunity to read your background, to find out a little bit about your military service. I've been quite impressed with the advocacy work that you've been doing around pregnancy in the military and also how you can support and create a more successful environment for military moms. And I'm especially impressed with your work-life balance. You have a young family, you're married, you have three active children. So I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Let's begin with you giving us a snapshot of your military service in the Pentagon. So I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. Um, I'm a KC-135 pilot. I got to the D.C. area about 2018, and I joined the Women's Initiative Team. This is a volunteer organization with men and women who want to make positive policy changes to remove barriers for women in service, whether they're in the Guard, active duty, reserve, civilian. So we analyze policy and make recommendations to the Air Force to make positive change for women. Thank you for letting me know that this is a volunteer initiative. What drew you there? The WIT, the Women's Initiative Team, is part of the DAFOG. That's the Department of Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group. And we're one of five teams, and we have an emerging team coming, a sixth team. Mm-hmm. And it was established in 2008. So I mm-hmm. got acquainted with the association, uh, the group, several years back before even coming to the D.C. area. And I did so because I was frustrated with policy. I had several captains when I was their D.O., that were being discriminated against, in my opinion, uh, that were being denied to attend uh, professional military education while they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to make change for them. So I couldn't work the change through my change of command. So I went to go after changing the policy. And I didn't know about the Women's Initiative team. So I kind of just went to social media and to everybody knew to see how I could go about that change. And someone said, hey, do you know about the Women's Initiative Team? And that's what turned me on to this organization. And I started writing white papers and research for them um, to just try to get any kind of policy out there to implement, to make this change for these captains that were being uh, discriminated against. Well, thank you for explaining to us exactly what the Women's Initiative Team is and what is your role there? Because I know that there's a lot of layers in the work that you've been doing as an advocate for women in the military. What's your role there in the Women's Initiative Team? So we have many people that volunteer. I specifically lead several lines of effort. Two, the first one is to remove pregnancy discrimination in DOD and Air Force policies. And the second one is anthropometric engineering barriers in our aircraft design. So Mm -hmm. I lead this effort. And in that team, we have people who volunteer. And we were working on several initiatives in pregnancy. The first one was to um, eliminate the barrier of PME. So women couldn't attend PME in certain incidences because they didn't have a current fitness test. Mm-hmm. So they required an exception to policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm happy to report, as of two weeks ago, um, the Air Force made positive change to remove that barrier so that women no longer effectively have to um, get an exception policy to attend school. They can just ask for uh, permission from their doctor, and they can submit that and attend PME. In some cases, women can't attend uh, PME, professional military education in the Air Force, if they don't have a current PT test or if they're on a profile, such in the case when they're pregnant. So squadron officer school was one of those schools that captains had to get an exception to policy to attend. 
And often, commanders were not allowing those members to even apply for the exception to policy for various reasons that they didn't think they should be going during pregnancy. So as of two weeks ago, the Air Force released a new AFI change in their 36 series that removed that obstacle, that barrier, which allowed women for pregnancy to just simply submit a note from their OB or the primary care provider to attend that school, and they no longer have to go to that exception to policy. You know, Jessica, I am just um, really excited that you're here because there is not a lot of detailed conversation about the issue of women in the military as it relates to pregnancy. And if you would, could you give us a moment for you to tell us about the history of pregnancy in the military, and then I'd like to move on to talk about its impact. Right. So so when we begin this process, we studied where we came from to see where we needed to go. And it starts back in June of 1948. Congress enacted the Women's Armed Service Integration Act, which Mm -hmm. formally authorized the appointment of enlisted women in the regular components of the armed service. So in 1948, all of a sudden the services had to deal with the potential that some of their service members could get pregnant. So Harry Truman in 1951... Uh, granted the armed services the authority to involuntarily discharge women if they became pregnant. Mm. And that stayed into effect until 1975. Mm-hmm. And if you look back in the history of Congress, they, 2002, they have a Pregnancy Relief Act, and in it they document that maybe as many as 7,000 service women were involuntarily discharged because of this um, policy. Oh, my. And Yeah, that's a lot. And when they systematically discharged these women, um, some of them went to seek abortions instead of separating or they were forced to adopt, um, put up their children for adoption. In some cases, they have documentation of women that had committed suicide as a result of the involuntary discharge. So they changed that policy in 1975. But what's interesting is the Pregnancy Discrimination Act um, of 1978, just three years after, comes out. What that does, it amends the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy discrimination is now added as a category of sex and gender. So you can't discriminate against someone because they're pregnant. The problem here is, is it only applies to civilians. In the DOD, our active duty military members, um, pregnancy discrimination doesn't apply to them. As a matter of fact, in the DOD, there's a lot of things that they can do that doesn't apply, such as... Um, they have age restrictions um, and disabilities. You can't hire someone um, active duty necessarily with a disability um, or over a certain age for certain conditions. So this, until this year, effectively, there was no rules banning pregnancy discrimination uh, for armed services members. But as of 14 July, Mark Esper signed a policy memo um, stating that effective 1 September, pregnancy is going to be um, added as a category of discrimination uh, for military members. So that is a huge and much-needed change 45 years after women were involuntarily forced out of the military. It sounds like we have breaking news. You said this was July 14th. This memo came out from the Secretary of Defense? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Well, all of those women and advocates that have been working on this issue are probably quite excited and delighted to hear this news. So what does this breaking news mean for women in the military? 
Well, the first thing we need to do is just establish that pregnancy discrimination is a protected uh, category in military equal opportunity. So now you can actually have advocates of change. You can go to EO, you can go to IG, you can file complaints when you're not hired or you're passed over for discrimination if you can prove that. Um, so that's huge. So it gives us a foundation. What we found in the Women's Initiative Team, as we were doing these initiatives, the underlying root cause was we had no protection. So now we can advocate for ourselves a little better. Mm-hmm. But we also have to implement this because you can change a policy but it's very difficult to change a culture. Pregnancy discrimination happens, you know, just straight on the nose, but it also happens um, through unconscious bias. So we need to educate the force what pregnancy discrimination looks like and what unconscious bias looks like. So when we implement this policy change, we also need to have a plan to get it to the field. The the details of how each service is going to implement it, we won't know that until 1 September. Um, So it's important that um, we uh, keep a watchful eye um, and to know what those rules are um, and to encourage supervisors and for us to go out and seek that information when it comes out in 1 September. Now, before we move from this, are there some other elements of the memorandum from the Department of Defense that's also included in that? Because I think that it is extremely important that we talk about this pregnancy and discrimination. But are there any other details before we move on to talk a little bit more about what we need to be doing around September 1st and how we can be diligent in making sure it is implemented based on this, the intention of the act? Right. So this... Uh, this memorandum didn't just include pregnancy discrimination. It dealt with other just types of discrimination that we may counter as service members as part of um, you know, the United States, the climate that we have right now. I can't really speak to the other portions of the memo, but you can go online and you, know, you can Google it and you can find this memo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of the uh, Department of Defense's task force for um, diversity, and each service has their own task force, and they're literally working on solutions right now. So you'll see things be rolling out here shortly. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of the horse here. Um, sure. I want them to be able to announce their policy changes as they come out on their own. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us because it is very encouraging to hear that there's been some movement on the important work that you've been doing. And if you would, Colonel Jessica, I'm going to ask if you would take a moment to tell us a little bit about your story so our listeners can understand where this passion and drive comes from about the work that you've been investing in, making sure that we find ways to eliminate these discriminatory acts against women who are pregnant in the military. Share with us your story. So my story started when I started having children um, as a young major. I had waited to have children to the right time when it would not impact my career the most because there never seems to be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pilot. So when you're a pilot, and let's just say you went to the Air Force Academy, I went through ROTC. Um, you can't have children when you're in college. And then you go through UPT, your pilot training courses, your upgrade courses, all these things that take several years of training. And you can't have a child during that period either. Mm-hmm. So you wait. And then you get to your first unit. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go through so many upgrades and deployments that the time you check all the boxes, you're easily in your early 30s. There's never a good time to have a baby. So I had my first child 
um, at the age of 33. Mm-hmm. And um, I started noticing that even though I was the same person, mm-hmm. I was being treated slightly different. People were asking me um, if I was going to get out, even though it was a hard charger. I was like, just because I had a baby doesn't mean I'm going to get out of the service. Exactly. Where I really experienced it was I was grounded the instant I became pregnant. And if you look at the FAA and you look at the airline industries, and I fly a platform that's very similar, 707, Boeing, it's like, kind of like a Southwest jet, mm-hmm. they don't consider uncomplicated pregnancies grounding. Uh, yet I was grounded instantly. Um, so I found that there is a waiver process for part of the second trimester. And every mm-hmm. time I had a baby, it seemed like I was reinventing the wheel, like I was the first female pilot to ever fly pregnant, mm-hmm. which is not the, not the truth. Uh, but they never could figure out the process. The waiver was delayed. I would lose weeks of my flying window. Basically, I would lose my qualification. Mm -hmm. So effectively, every child you have, you kind of lose a year of flying time, and you get less hours, less experience, and you don't get passed over or not stratified higher because you had a baby. You get behind because you don't have as many hours. Um, because you didn't get that upgrade as fast, because our promotion system doesn't allow that flexibility to let you take that time off. And that can really be devastating on a career, because we're talking about a young pilot, and whether it's a a male pilot or a female pilot, there's a lot of work and energy that goes into making sure you keep your flight hours up so that you can be better positioned for for competitive promotions that's coming up. So to be sidelined that way, directly affects your ability to be promoted in, in the work that you're doing as a pilot. Is that the case? Right. Mm-hmm. No, it is. And we've taken strides and improved that window. We actually removed the process of the waiver um, last September so mm-hmm. that you wouldn't lose um, op- the time to fly. Like you would lose weeks waiting for that waiver process that you could be flying. So we removed that waiver to allow members to simply just get information from their OB, get a note, hand it to their flight surgeon, and they can continue to fly. And then they increase that window even further, and they're actually looking at the hazards associated with the aviation environment right now and considering expanding that even more. So we've made it a long way since my first child. But mm-hmm. what happened was as I made rank, I started having young captains underneath me, and they started experiencing the same thing. They were either outright denied waivers, they were discouraged from waivers, um, and they were frustrated. Um, for instance, I had uh, one captain, she was grounded, so she has that year off. Then she was picked up for professional military education for squadron officer school, and our OG just straight denied her. So not mm-hmm. only is she out of the jet for a year, mm-hmm. now as soon as she has her baby, she has to go back to school, a school that she could have gone to while she was grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So effectively, she was out of the fight for 18 months. Oh, my. Um, and that, that was where it really got me um, fired up. And that's when I started, you know, writing those white papers and emailing and going to social media. It was one thing that impacted me, but that got me really fired up when I saw my female airman just sitting on the side, uh, flustered at the system. So I went uh, to try to make it better for him. And at first I thought, you know, maybe we should file an IG complaint against the commander that said she couldn't go because there's no real reason she can't go. But then I realized there would be someone to replace him or her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we really need to go after the idea. 
The good news is, is we should let people know that Lieutenant Colonel Jessica is also married to another Lieutenant Colonel. So she's in what we call a dual career marriage, and she has a vibrant, active family of three children. So tell us the ages of your children. So my oldest, her name is Faith, and she's seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one I had very close, uh, six years old, Daniel. Um, and I have um, uh, my youngest daughter. She just turned three. I call her my three-nager because uh, she just skipped from two to three, and she's in that, you know, that phase when she wants to be in everything. Well, and my husband works in the National Military Command Center, um, and we're a joint spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been married for, oh, my gosh, 15 years. <laughs> well, and I, I just paused there because we had to have the wedding to get the assignment together, and then you have that, you know, the formal wedding later so your family can be there. So I always have to pause and think about that date. <laughs> now, there is another um, bill that's been sponsored by Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, and it's called the Equality for Military Moms Act. Uh, Jessica, could you tell us a little bit about what that is and what it means to this issue that we're talking about in terms of pregnancy in the military? Right. Um, So Emma, for short, is the Equality for Military Mothers Amendment. Um, And it was also brought in first by Representative Holland of New Mexico. And what I think this is important is within this amendment, it actually spells out actionable items for the military to do. So I think this is good for implementation. Um, Examples would be training. One thing that I think we could do better is training supervisors and um, about how they can better take care of their service members when they become pregnant. So if this um, amendment passes, this will give steps to the DOD on how they can better support their women. It's still with the House of Representatives, and it's going to be voted on this Tuesday. So what you can do now is you can go to your representative and tell them that you want them to um, sponsor or vote for NDA number 174 um, before it goes to the Senate. It's a bipartisan amendment. Um, So what it would do, it directs the Secretary of Defense in coordination with the service secretaries to develop and implement policies that ensure armed forces and DOD civilians, employees do not experience discrimination to include retaliation or otherwise unduly affected as a result of a covered member. And that's like a covered member would be someone that was pregnant or had childbirth, went on to maternity leave, or any kind of medical condition, like if they had to be on bed rest or something like that, and has access to reasonable accommodation for the known limitations related to being covered by the pregnancy. So it's going to kind of force the military to be better accommodating to women who become pregnant. I think um, it's perfect timing. The DOD wants to include pregnancy discrimination. Congress wants to support it. It's Women need it. Um, so what we can do um, as an actionable item to make effective change is to call our representatives and tell them to pass EMMA. So just call them and tell them to pass NDA number 174. Here you are sharing with us another item that's going to happen and is going to be voted on in the House on July 21st, and that is Emma, which is short for Equality for Military Moms Amendment. And I'm really excited to hear that not only is it a bipartisan amendment, it is an amendment that is needed and will have high likelihood of it passing. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. 
Wow, this is just fantastic. You made some very poignant hints about what we should be doing and how we should manage and watch over the implementation process. So can you talk to us a little bit about implementation, what we should be looking for? So I can give recommendations from the perspective of what I've observed in my career in the Air Force, but each service is different. So the Army has a different physical fitness standard than the Air Force and the Navy. So the way pregnancy impacts someone in the Air Force is different than the Army. So it will be interesting to see how each service could implement policy changes. So, for instance, the Army, um, their captains, their officers, uh, tend to command earlier as captains and majors as compared to the Air Force, um, they tend to be majors and lieutenant colonels. Well, what's important for the Army is their physical fitness test. So when a woman becomes pregnant in the Army, effectively they start not becoming eligible for stuff like professional military education, which mm -hmm. sets them up for success for future command. So when they're not able to achieve these milestones, and some of these schools they could attend pregnant, it depends on their MOS, they have different schools, but we have these blanket occupational health profiles that we put on women in the service. In the Air Force, um, it's not really tailored to your specific career field. So I think we could do a better job mm -hmm. at um, um, tailoring occupational health profiles to people's individual preferences as well as their careers, mm -hmm. their career fields. Um, the second thing I would um, and I've already foot stomped on this before, training, right? What, mm -hmm. Every time a pregnant woman, um, you know, announces her pregnancy or in some cases the commander finds out because um, in the military, as soon as you become pregnant, you go to public health, you take a test, and they immediately fill out a form and send it to your commander and your first sergeant. So whether you want them to know or not, they're notified. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like it's always being the woman that's never been pregnant before in their unit. And there's dozens of regulations about pregnancy, and they're not consolidated anywhere. So that leaves the member to go out and seek the information or find another pregnant member and just try to get as much information they can. So we have SAPR training, we have cyber training, we have suicide awareness training, yet we now have one-stop shop for pregnant members. Mm -hmm. So... Supervisors also don't know this information. There's regulations for, you know, how do you know when to report that you're pregnant? Do you have to do it within 24 hours? Do you have to do it within two weeks? Mm -hmm. uh, what support do you get? So besides the medical support that you're going to get, what about childcare? What about lactation rooms? What about maternity uniforms? Do you get money for maternity uniforms? How do you get money for maternity uniforms? There's a million things that we have to figure out. Can you wear your PT clothes? Do you have to do PT? Do you have mm -hmm. to deploy? How long is your de you know, deferment? What impacts to your unit will this cause? Mm -hmm. All these things you're kind of left on your own to find out. So I think we need a one-stop shop, mm -hmm. and supervisors need to be educated on how to better support them. They need to know the rules about lactation, PT deferments. Um, can you go TDY? Can you deploy? They need to know all these rules. Mm -hmm. And typically, a first sergeant usually takes care of this, but there's so much to know, there's not a possible way for them to know every rule. So I would recommend kind of a one-stop training shop for people, or at least something they can go back to reference. We're talking about implementation, and we know that you are in the Air Force, and you talking about, you shared with us the impact that pregnancy in the military has in an Air Force environment. But you also made an important point about one-stop shop. 
pregnancy consolidation. And I wonder, what's the likelihood that we could actually create a one-stop shop in doing some consolidation around the issues and policies around pregnancy, even though the standards and the framework for procedures vary from military branch to military branch? I think you would have to do it by service because there's different rules that apply to different services. Um, how I would do it is I would have one agency own the process, but the owners of the policies would have to update the information as it changes. Mm -hmm. um, we do this for like checklists. Unit deployment managers have a checklist when you deploy. Mm -hmm. uh, although the unit deployment manager doesn't own the process of picking up, you know, your bags and getting your gear to go down range and updating your wheel with the JAG, like each member like the, the JAG is required to update their phone numbers, the information. They just go to that checklist. And that's something we could do as a service. Mm -hmm. So your suggestion for one agency to own the process makes sense because it can come out of a decentralized core and it can have some contribution from all of the respective branches of, of military service. You and I were brought together by an initiative that is currently underway with the National Security Innovation Network. And how did you get connected to that network, and what do you see their role being in this process? They won't solve all of the issues, but uh, it seems to me that this is going to be an ongoing initiative that needs to be worked on and modified as we go forward. Right. So I was um, contacted through word of mouth through some of the articles I write, um, and they asked, you know, since I work so much on pregnancy um, issues, if I could, you know, maybe advise them and give them some information on where to start. They're focusing, you know, Army and the Guard. And I think they have unique challenges separate from active duty uh, because they're not always full-time. So how do you um, put somebody on orders um, part-time that's pregnant? So they have unique issues there. But I think what they're doing... Um, is amazing work. It's very much needed change, and I, I'm looking forward to see the recommendations that are going to be coming out next month. Mm -hmm. Well, this must be a really exciting time for you when I look at some of the white papers that you've been writing and your position as an advocate around this issue. How are you feeling about some of this breaking news that is happening right in a very small window of time? I'm super excited, and I think when we look back at it, we're going to see this was a historical uh, moment for women in the military. Uh, I agree. So where do we go from here? We are on a path where there's been some incremental yet very important changes happening. It is laying the foundation that women can more securely and confidently share announcements uh, regarding their pending pregnancy with their employer so that they can get uh, the kind of treatment that they need to get through the, the medical system within the military. Where do we go from here? I think we go after implementation, and if we don't get it right or perfect the first time, we keep advocating for change. Don't just admire a problem. You have to put your words to action, and that's what we do on the Women's Initiative team. We think people want to do the right thing. Leaders sometimes have unconscious bias, and we need to help them overcome this unconscious bias. And we can do that through policy change. Send it to the Women's Initiative team. If you've done your homework, we'll sponsor it. Well, I have to tell you, you guys have really been courageous and very tenacious when it comes to this issue. How can we, how can the members and the listeners of the Women Veterans Rock community support 
what you're doing, what the initiative is doing in moving forward. How can we support you in moving forward? Um, the two things that you can do, the first thing you could do is you can call your representative again um, and sponsor EMMA, the Equality for Mothers uh, Amendment, NDAA number 174. That would be huge. But at a more tactical and practical level, if you see something in your unit, right, if you see somebody um, being discriminated against, you need to speak up and say something. To say, not, don't keep, put your head down. Don't look the other way. If there was somebody, let's say, that was picked up for an interview for a position such as maybe an executive officer, and all of a sudden you see that they're pregnant and they're no longer interviewing for that position, you need to advocate for those individuals. Don't just say, hmm, I guess, you know, um, they went with somebody else. You need to um, help change that culture. We can change the policy, but we need individuals to stand up and not be afraid to say this isn't right. We want to encourage all of our members to take this as a call to action to contact your congressional leaders because this is not only an exciting and important time, but it's also going to be an historic time. And we really want to be on the right side of history as it relates to this issue around pregnancy and discrimination in the military. Colonel Jessica Rutenberg, I thank you today for joining today's conversation. It has truly been enlightening. I hope you will promise to come back to tell us a little bit more about what's going on when you see these, uh, the implementation uh, starting September 1st. Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you. Once again, thank you for joining us here today at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You'll be notified of upcoming episodes so you can join us in the public square for more stimulating conversations. Want to learn more about Women Veterans Rock? Go to our website at www.womenvetsrock.org to learn about our organization, upcoming events, and more. And there's one last thing before we go. We are advocates for women's rights and greater opportunities for military women in the workplace, as well as promotional opportunities across every single avenue of public service, and that commands us to stand up in support of America's military women on the matter of pregnancy and promotion in the military. Today's show is another summer call to action for our podcast community. We urge you to call your congressmen, congresswomen, and senators and ask them to vote in support of pending legislation called the Equality for Military Mothers Act. It's also called EMMA for short. Change will come if we support those who are impacted by discrimination. And we must be willing to stand up to help military women rise. And in just a few parting words from Dr. Maya Angelou, she has said, just like moons and like suns and the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. This is Daily Trade. If you enjoyed the music in today's episode, please feel free to follow me on Instagram at L-A-T-R-E-Y Music, where I'm constantly posting new music and upcoming releases for the show. Thank you, peace, love, nothing but the best. Latre, out.